0: To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Is oh, yeah. it that 200-inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away.
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my
0: hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better.
1: Here's your host, Brian Barney.
0: yo what's happening guys got a brand new eastman's elevated for you so this week on the podcast i have on nick munt from the bone collector this podcast has just given me an awesome opportunity to connect with some of these guys in the hunting industry uh they're always so friendly and so humble and i i feel like i connect on a deeper level with these guys which, you know, I, I connect on a deeper level with all hunters, so it makes sense. But uh, just a, a great guy. You know, he always brings a good time, good camaraderie around the campfire. And then he's just a heck of a bow hunter as well. So really happy to get him on the podcast. Thanks to Nick for taking the time and being on. Also, thanks to Swagger Bipods. Swagger builds the best bipods made. And shooting a rifle accurately is all about the rest. So they have their standard 42-inch bipod, and this thing is a game-changer. You can shoot from your knees, uh, you can shoot from a sitting position, or you can shoot from a prone. Uh, the legs have an adjustable length on them, they're spring tension loaded, and then you can swivel on the top of it so you can track your target if your target walks right or rocks walks left. Uh, just an amazing product. Uh, they make some other ones as well, and I always, this 42 has a quick detach on it, too, which I think is really handy. So it fits a plate right where your rifle sling would go, and then your sling can still attach. But this plate then slides into this quick detach 42. So basically, you don't have to be carrying this bipod on your rifle. You can carry your bipod in your pack or somewhere close and then put it on in the moment of truth or when you know you're going to get a shot. So it's really handy and they have some other products as well. They have their 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 benchmade bipod, which is a smaller bipod, lighter, made for more of just shooting from a prone position. And then they also have their shooting sticks, which are spring tension loaded. Uh, you can adjust up and down, swivel to your target. So they just have some amazing products. And and like I say, shooting a rifle accurately is all about your rest. So if you're in the market for some shooting sticks or a new bipod, make sure to check out Swagger. Check out everything we've got going on over there at Eastman's. Uh, we've got the, the, the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Um, I periodically drop in about... Every episode, every other or uh, every issue, every other issue, and, and write an article in there. And I just love that format, just like I love podcasting. Being able to think of my word choice, think of my photos and layout, and, and really try to give you guys that information to help you get better at hunting our public lands. Uh, along with that, we've got our Beyond the Grid. We've got a really cool mule deer episode or, or mule deer film that's going to drop this month. Gosh, we've got all the footage of Popeye, just an amazing buck, Goliath, and and then we also have all this information on the migrational routes and how we can help as mule deer hunters to make sure that the, the species survives and thrives as we all love to hunt them. So be on the lookout for that film. It'll drop, uh, you can find it on our Beyond the Grid. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. And then I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up when that thing drops. It's going to be an awesome film. I've watched watched the short version. I can't wait to watch the entire version. Uh, You can catch our TV shows like I say, again, on that Beyond the Grid, some good episodes dropping, and then um, on uh, uh, the Outdoor Channel on Eastman's Hunting TV as well. So I've got a couple episodes I'm real excited to release to you guys, couple mule deer hunts um, with my bow. So excited to release those to you guys and, and uh, have you guys watch those. So yeah, for me, it's November mule deer hunting, Man, I just had a... Uh, great hunt last weekend bunch of deer bunch of bucks chasing them with my bow rut should be on this weekend so uh yeah super excited to get out there maybe i'll do a, a quick little recap in the ending of this podcast and let you know how that one went but uh yeah it's a fun time of year um hunting that muley rut so uh yeah excited so um but that's let's, let's get into this podcast so i've got Nick Munt from the bone collector Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Yep, I'm good to go. We'll get right into it, Nick.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, uh, so thanks again for being on the podcast. Uh, man, just a pleasure to connect with you and talk with you. Um, so yeah, just can't thank you enough for taking the time.
1: Oh, I'm just happy to be here, man. I, uh, you know, I have uh, grew up with the Eastman's and and
0: uh you know I know
1: the guys a little bit haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with them but um you know I just uh am a big fan of hunting and and anybody that does it good no matter what side they're on whether they're wearing certain camo or what gun or bow they shoot um I'm a big fan of hunting so it's just an honor for me to get to to be on here with you so thank you
0: yeah well uh likewise um man I grew up like uh I think maybe we're around similar ages, but I sure grew up with you on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, I just connected with your your authenticity, and then um, how genuine of a person you are. But uh, I just really loved how you how you live in the moment. You seem to enjoy being around your buddies, and you seem to really enjoy being on a hunt. Um, so, so I think that's you know that's how I found you, and how I uh, really connected with you was through that show. Like, how did um how did this all come to be? Like, uh, how did you get um, such a, uh, uh, you know, get to be such a great personality in the outdoor industry on one of the biggest shows out there? Maybe you can just talk a little bit about your start in the outdoor industry.
1: Well, it kind of all started, you know. I did I did a lot of hunting um, around my hometown of Spearfish, South Dakota, and uh, when I got out of high school, I went to barber school, and then I, um, after, after I worked at the barbershop for a few years, uh, some buddies of mine actually had a fishing boat in Alaska. So I went to Alaska and worked on a fishing boat for a few summers. And then when I came back, the guy that I was working with at the barbershop had hired somebody else. So um, there was a gal over in Sundance, Wyoming, that had a little barbershop. And I wanted to, uh, she asked me if I would come and help her a little bit over there. So I did. Well, her husband happened to be an outfitter and he was outfitting in Montana, and um, I got talking with him and showed him a bunch of my picture books and stuff, and he asked me if I would ever, you know, consider guiding with him, and I said, heck yeah, that'd be really fun, you know, and then he said, and, and I'm working with uh, my neighbor over here is also an outfitter, uh, his name is Jeff Smith, and he owns an outfit called 7-Day Outfitters, and I know he needs some help too, so it was like, you know, perfectly fell into place, so... Um, I met I met with Jeff Smith and his wife Deb and and uh, started working with them also and then um, kind of just to make the, the story a little shorter um, we we guided for whitetails mule deer elk antelope and turkeys and uh, most of it was in the northeast corner of Wyoming and, and along kind of the eastern edge from Gillette you know up to Sundance and kind of down around Upton in that area uh, since then Jeff has expanded into um, you know, a lot bigger out country um, over over west a little bit further in the Bighorns, and then of course up in the Big Mountain too. Um, but I uh, got my start with him and um, guided there for four or five years full time, and then uh, the guys from Realtree had heard about us. We started to build a really good reputation for um, archery whitetails, and and you know that area was pretty. It was a pretty well kept secret as far as how many. Deer actually live there and the quality of the bucks that were there. And so we really kind of helped put that area on the map as far as, as archery whitetail hunting, early season kind of a deal. And um, Realtree wanted to come and hunt with us, so we let him come and do a show. And um, I was guiding David Blanton. And um, the very first day at lunch, I picked him up from his stand in the morning. We went in and had some breakfast. and you are just kind of sitting around and I just said, Hey, you know, at that time I ran my video camera a lot. It was kind of before the whole video camera craze started. And so I just, uh, said, Hey, I'd like to show you some of my footage. You know, I got some really good footage that I've videoed. And he said, heck yeah. You know, cause there's just not much going on. Those days are so long in September, you know, you got to, the middle of the day just to kind of sit around. And so I got my camera out and I showed him, um, Jeff and Deb have five kids between them. And, um, I videoed most of their first deer and Turkey hunts and, always videoed my clients and, um, you know, when I was out scouting, I'd video the animals I was seeing and stuff like that. So he just, he really liked my footage and, and then actually asked me if I would consider coming to work for them, um, to run camera. And so I was like, wow, you know, that'd be a dream come true. So I went to Jeff and Deb and got their blessing. They asked me to ask me to work for them for one more year because I was one of their head guides. And I was running a camp of theirs, um, down out of Newcastle, Wyoming. And, So I did that. I worked for them um, for another season. And then uh, that spring, uh, Michael Waddell came out. Um, I didn't meet him initially. Bill Jordan and David Blanton were the ones who came initially and and hunted with us, so Michael didn't come. So uh, that following spring, he came out and turkey hunted with us and shot his first Miriams. And so that was the first opportunity that I had to meet Michael. And so he and I just hit it off. I mean, we were just like – Bros, right out of the gate, you know, and so we spent four or five days together hunting turkeys in Wyoming and South Dakota, and we just had a ball. And uh, when he left, we had just literally just connected on a crazy level, you know, like long lost brothers. And uh, so then I went, so then I started working for Realtree, and I worked there for nine years. For about five years, I was kind of Bill Jordan's right hand man. I went everywhere with him, videoed all of his hunts, and um, you know, we flew from place to place to place, and you know, I didn't have any obligation or I wasn't married or anything. So I just was on the road, you know, and it was, it was just a, a really a great time. And so, um, one day in, uh, I think it was probably mid to late 2007, Michael just came to me after, you know, we had, um, done the road trip show for several years. Um, it was a show that we started. It kind of changed the way out, outdoor TV was filmed and, um, it was kind of during all that time when uh, MTV had all those kind of new reality type shows. And so um, Steve Finch, who was the producer uh, at Realtree, he and Michael came up with this idea for this show and uh, went forward with it. And it was a big hit. And so I had the opportunity to be on a bunch of those shows and, and run camera. And so while I was running camera for whoever Michael's guest would be on those shows, we um, gave he and, he and I an opportunity to screw around in camp and just kind of show the meat and potatoes of what hunting camp is, you know, and um, people really liked it. And uh, so, you know, it was in 2007 when Michael said, Hey, I think it's time for us to start our own brand and, and start our own show and just kind of try to get out on our own, you know? And so we um, got the blessings from Realtree and and they said they'd sponsor us. And, you know, we were still a big part of the Realtree family and still are today. And so uh, we started Bone Collector and, That was 13 years ago, so we're just getting ready to start filming our 13th season, and you know, it's been a a dream come true for me just to be able to hunt and, you know, spend time with my friends at camp, and um, you know, I got married two years ago, um, so things changed a little bit because I have, you know, I have a family and some kids now, but uh, just to live the hunting lifestyle and, and be able to hunt in some really great places and work with great partners and sponsors. It's just been, you know, I just can't, uh, I just can't put it into words, man. It almost kind of makes me tear up because I've just been so lucky and, and, you know, it's, obviously it's been a lot of hard work, but it's been a labor of love and, and I just, I just love it so much that I just can't even ever see myself doing anything else. So that's kind of the short version.
0: <laughs> man, that's beautiful, Nick. Um, gosh, I just love that. And I love, um, it, you know, sure like it's it it's timing or there may be some luck involved but but not really you were always so passionate about hunting and that's what shined through is your passion and then you know you you built your name brick by brick by by you know collecting all those hunts on video and, and then when that when when uh David Blanton when you got the chance to show him video you had all this footage you had worked at and honed your skills and it was the timing of that and the timing of bone collector and then just your passion for hunting like without that uh, uh none of this goes or none of this succeeds and and one of the reasons that you connected with those guys so well is because you you shared that similar passion and and you like a uh, passion nowadays uh you, you know it's like I feel so fortunate to have passion in my life and something I truly love to do and uh when you connect with guys that have that same passion uh, just like you said, it's uh, like instantly like your long lost brothers, you know. So, man, that's just a beautiful story.
1: Well, it, you know, and it's it's uh, you talk about timing. You know, timing is everything, and and uh, it just it just all fell into place. And you know, I just know if I hadn't if if the Smiths and Seven J Outfitters, um, and and then my my other friend Craig Huter, if those guys hadn't given me that first opportunity, you know, I. I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today, so you know I, I thank them for for the opportunity that gave me they gave me to start with, and um, you know I just know that I'm I just know that I'm blessed, and and I just love this you know with all my heart I love hunting and I love the outdoors and, and I love the people too that come with it, so it's it's just been really great so far.
0: Well, it shows, and um, I like what you said about the MTV, all the reality TV. Uh, you're right, you guys were the first guys in the in the hunting industry to show a lot of that behind the scenes, a lot of the joking around and ribbing and laughter. And uh, people just ate it up. Like it was um, exactly what they wanted at the the right time. And you guys were the first to bring it there. And, and, and part of the reason of, of your guys' success is not only going on these adventures and going on these great hunts and showing, you know, all this great footage, but it's that behind the scenes, um, you know, those bonds you build, with people during trying times. Like I, you know, I hate to compare it to the military as those guys go through way more than, than we do, you know, but you you do, you build this special bond with your hunting buddies and, and you go through trying times and, uh, that, that bond is stronger than, than, uh, having a barbecue every Sunday or whatever. Like when you're going hunting with a guy, like you, uh, you really build a strong friendship and have to trust that person and, um, you know, trust that they're going to keep their head in the game. And, you know, I almost think, uh, finding a hunting partner is tougher than finding a wife.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure, man. It's, uh, you know, we do. It's, it's just crazy, you know, the bond that you build over the years. And and then, uh, you know, to know that in the end, you know, some people get pretty jealous when you have success. Um, to have the guys on your team that are, you come back to camp and you got a big one in the back of the truck and they're as genuinely, genuinely happy for you as you are, you know, being able to, to take that animal that you've been working so hard to get um, it's just nice to know that the guys that are on your team are, are genuinely happy for you, and there's no animosity and no jealousy, and you know because it, it just kind of all boils down to, you know, we spend a lot of time together, we're all on the same team, and and everybody's everybody's out there trying to be successful, and and when you are successful, it's nice to be embraced by your by your close buddies, you know, so that's that's a great part too.
0: Oh, that's that's a, a real important part of it is to be happy for your buddy's success and then have your buddies happy for your success. Um, in their like their, uh, you have to work at it. Like there almost is a you know, a hint of of jealousy when a guy kills a big buck, but you just remember all the hard work they put in. They're your buddy. You're pulling for their success as much as you're pulling for your own success. And the minute you can embrace that theory with your hunting buddies, you just get better together. You have more fun. And really comparison is the thief of all happiness. Like I think in life in general, with all the social media uh, nowadays, you know, and in all the quality animals, like you can get caught up watching social media and watching somebody's highlight reel and getting jealous or making excuses or saying, oh, they killed it with this weapon or that weapon, or you embrace it and you're happy for them, you know, whether they got lucky or they put in the hard work or whatever it is, you know, every dog has his day and you just be happy for these other hunters that are successful in the field instead of comparing yourself to them. And we're, we're all on our own journey, you know, it. it's, um, yeah. You know, we we just can't Absolutely. compare it to the the biggest trophies in the yeah. West that get harvested every year. I mean, not that we won't get our chance at some of those animals, but uh, I, I just think. If you can be happy for fellow hunters and especially happy with your circle of friends and hunting partners and really support them and try to help in their success, try to like um, as a hunting partner, you want to add to it and make them better, you know. And and I just think that's such an important point that you make, you know, as far as hunting buddies and circle of friends and being happy for each other.
1: Yeah, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not jealous of some of the animals that get killed, you know. Me too. <laughs> um, I'll yeah, a happy jealous. Break, you know? <laughs> but you know, I'm still happy that they got him. A perfect example of that is last year in, in Kansas. Um, we had been hunting this particular buck on this farm for, geez, several years. I actually, uh, two years before, I had actually um, shot this deer, and he took off right when I shot, so I just skipped an arrow right off his back. He was a huge seven-pointer. He was uh, eight and a half years old, at least, and um, I nicknamed him Mongo, and he's just a goofy-looking, old buck, monster, legitimately 300-plus-pound deer with just a giant, basically a two-by-three rack with a few little stickers on it. And uh, so I I was really wanting to kill that deer, and everybody, you know, kind of agreed that You know, when you, when you're hunting trophy whitetails, you look at a deer like this and he's, he's, you know, for the guy that's looking for the big, beautiful five by five or six by six, he's just, he's, he looks like a a junk deer. You know, he's just a big goofy two by three. And so all of us wanted to kill him because he had eluded us all for, for several years. We had all had near misses with him and, um, I was in a stand and, you know, had some, some, uh, wi-fi cams up around the farm and all of a sudden I got a picture of this buck and so I knew T-Bone was hunting that farm I was hunting a different farm so I immediately said um I sent T-Bone a message and I said Mongo is on his feet get ready and I'm not kidding you about an hour later he sends me a text message and says Mongo's down and he ended up getting him and you know it's just one of those deer that you know he's not he's not a he's not a deer that You know i was going to make the cover of any magazines or anything like that but was just a deer that you know we had all wanted to get he was super elusive and just a huge one of the hugest bodied whitetails you could ever see and just a, a really cool buck and and i was i was jealous that he killed that deer you know of course i told him that but uh at the end of the day i was super happy that he got him and it turned out to be a great hunt and he was pumped, and and uh, you know we all we all celebrated over it, but it was just kind of a cool story.
0: Yeah, that's way cool, man. Those whitetails—they sure get really good at living in small spaces, don't they? Where they can elude you for six, seven, eight years old, and that's the the kind of genetics you're trying to take out of there, and and can't you know, get a pattern on this buck or get yourself in front of them to get them shot between all you guys hunting them. Man, those whitetails, they sure get smart in those the small tracts of land. Um, they really tighten up their programs. It's tough to kill those big mature ones, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they're super smart, man. And they, I don't know, they just have a way of, of getting around people. And And, you know, by nature, obviously, most deer are nocturnal. And, you know, when the rut comes, they kind of let their guard down and start moving around in the daylight a little bit more which is probably the reason most of them get killed but um you know they just have a i don't know if you call it a sixth sense or a you know i don't they just have a special ability to to know their surroundings and and you know figure out and maybe sometimes they walk by where you've walked in the dark and they smell that and so they don't go back by that area or you know, I don't know, but some of them get so dang lucky and live to be pretty old, and some of them obviously never do get get taken by a hunter because they are so smart.
0: Yeah, they seem to uh, develop patterns that, that keep them alive, and they do have a knack for making the right move, and I'm, you know, I'm... I'm more of a, a a muley guy like I love hunting muleys living out west here. Um, I do like dabbling in whitetails uh, when I can, but it's tough. I get one tag in Montana, and so that usually goes towards mule deer. but but mule deer are that same way. Those older age class bucks, uh, they have a knack for making the right moves, and they they also, you know, they they tend to live in areas where they don't get pressured. And so, You know, they tend to to create these patterns of high country living to even during the rut, which is the Keely's heel of the mule deer as well. Um, But even during the rut, like in these high pressure areas, the bucks that grow up are the bucks that rut away from roads or hunt in drainages or basins that are tough to glass. I mean, that's where those those bucks can grow up to that five six seven years old so i find it even during the rut they still have a knack for making the right moves their guards down a little bit but uh you know you're you're able to to catch them slipping a little bit better
1: yeah it's it's crazy man a big a big deer of any kind is a a smart critter and to to not only you know make it through hunting seasons for all those years but to make it past mountain lions and coyotes and wolves and you know, all the other things that can happen to them. It's a, it's pretty amazing, you know, just the way they are. And I think that's what, you know, kind of drew me the most to hunting as a kid is, you know, my grand, my grand, my grandparents got me started in hunting and my dad. um, I just was an animal nut. And so it was kind of a way for me to um, get my hands on some animals, you know. Um, (laughs) When I was younger, I wanted to be a veterinarian and I wanted to I loved animals so much, I wanted to try to heal animals, but I soon found out in school that I wasn't good at math, and, and uh, you know, calculus and physics and chemistry weren't my deal, so I knew I wasn't going to be able to um, be a veterinarian, so I figured rather than heal animals, I'd just shoot them and get my hands on them, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I've always just loved animals, and just to be able to get my hands on them, you know, and, and that's something special for me, is when you finally get one of those animals that you're after, just to get up to them and... You know, get your hands on him, feel his horns, and and, uh, there's just, I just have so much respect for him because they're just, I don't know, they're just awe-inspiring, and, and, you know, seeing them in in places, like even like a, a national park or a state park or in a neighborhood that you can't hunt, just seeing that big buck sitting there and laying in somebody's yard, you know, out west, you see a lot of places that are kind of close to town where there's mule deer living right in town. you see these big giant bucks, stickers and drop tines hanging off them laying in a guy's yard, you know, just to sit there and admire that animal, you know, it's just, is just something else. And I just have so much respect for the animals. So.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, We do us as hunters, we fall in love with the animals that we hunt and, and uh, they are so fun just to watch. Even when you're targeting an animal, you see a lot of bucks that are smaller than, and and, um, you know, and then see your, you know, other animals as far as bears or elk or other deer. But I'm the same way. I'm such a fan of wildlife and just watching wildlife through my glass. And then, you know, to be able to walk up and put your hands on it and be the first human being to touch that animal and it's like, um, you know, outsmarting that animal. Like you mentioned mountain lions, you know, mountain lions way sneakier than I could ever be. Heck, my house cat, you know, they come out as kittens, way better hunters than, than I've developed over the last 30 years. Like they're just so sneaky and patient and they can freeze in the grass and wait for that animal to move. So, yeah, those those deer have evolved from thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions. So, man, those things are – are sharp as attack and have really good instincts and so yeah man I mean when I can when I can outsmart one and get within a stone's throw and put a perfect arrow through it and put my hands on it there's no feeling like it you know and I I think that's what's hooked me and kept me with with bow hunting for so long is just the challenge of it and then the immersion of it like you really have to immerse yourself in the woods and it's it's like the only thing you're thinking about when you're in the woods or trying to outsmart a buck or figure him out. You're just so immersed in the process that your brain isn't cluttered with you know, where your rents due, or your truck payment or where you got to be next Tuesday. It's all on just that, that hunt and where you're at and absorbing it. And that's the other thing I love about hunting too, is the wild places it takes me. Uh, man, you've been able to, to do some incredible adventures over the years. Like when we first talked to you, had, you had mentioned your moose hunt up there in Alaska. I know you've been on a bunch of crazy adventures. Um, what, what's been some of your favorites over the years?
1: Well, those moose hunts um, are some of the most just exhilarating moments, you know, when when those bulls are coming in and, you know, you got a chance to seal the deal on a monster animal like that. I mean, there's nothing like that. I mean, just to get that done and then then you switch your gears from, wow, that was incredible, the elation of of the shot, you know, knowing it's down and then you got to, take it out of there piece by piece on your back and it's going to take you two and a half days to get it out of there you know things kind of change a little bit but those moments are, have been great um a couple other hunts that i can remember that you know i really you know are just etched in my mind is um, i had had an opportunity to hunt brown bears in russia a couple of times and so wow. uh, the first year i went over there um i shot a, i went and videoed a bunch of guys and everybody got bears and then i ended up getting to shoot one myself and then the next year um, I took my dad over there, and I hunted with my dad for um, seven days, and then he finally killed one. And then the very next day, after he killed his, then I ended up getting mine. Um, but hunting hunting brown bears was something that my dad and I had both wanted to do for years and years. And um, we, you know, as I was growing up, it's something that we always talked about and dreamt about, and uh, just to be able to to go with my dad to Russia and share that experience with him and. Um, you know, there's some adversity that comes. It takes four days just to get there, and and you know, by the time you get there, you're about exhausted. Then you hunt for eight days, and then it takes four days to get back home. So, you know, there's a lot of mental um, toughness that has to come with a hunt like that because there's just a lot of downtime, a lot of travel, a lot of sitting around. You know, um, a lot of language barriers, stuff like that. And so, just to get through that kind of a hunt and then look back on it, and, and then you know. Obviously, we have the trophies mounted in our houses. And, um, you know, memories like that are, are priceless to me. And I've had an opportunity to hunt with my dad on a lot of occasions in different places. We we moose hunted in, in Manitoba together. Uh, we went up there. He, on the very first day up there, he shot um, basically a moose, a wolf, and a bear all on the same day. It was a 10 day hunt. He shot all of his animals on the very first day. And then basically he had to sit around, did a little fishing and stuff for the next nine days but it was an amazing trip he shot a boon and crockett canadian moose um and then you know just some of the other trips we've been on hunt, you know deer hunting and bear hunting together um those are those are the, the memories that are the most dear to me and um, another one that stands out is i had an opportunity to go to pakistan with a good friend of mine cory Knowlton, he took me over there and i videoed for him and we shot several species of sheep and, and uh, ibex and that was a great trip too, you know, just to be able to see a completely different culture, um, kind of almost to know what it's like to be, um, a minority, you know, walking through the streets of some of those towns and villages, people look at you like you're from Mars, you know, and, um, just a really neat experience, beautiful people, super nice. Um, we've had no problems over there. And then, you know, just to, to be able to harvest harvest and get our hands on some of those animals over there was, was incredible. So those are some of my, you know, some of my top list. Of course, um, you know, I shot a huge mule deer in Arizona a couple of years ago, uh, 226, shot him with my bow on the Arizona strip. That's, you know, one of my top trophies of all time, I guess. And then, um, you know, I've got a few whitetails in that, you know, boot and crockett range with my bow that, you know, are, are at the top of the list. So I've been pretty lucky when it comes to, shooting animals and um I just never get tired of it I mean I can get up as long as the hunting season's going I can be up two hours before daylight and you know be raring to go every day and I never I never do get tired of it you know some of the other parts of the job I get tired of but I never get tired of the hunting part
0: Man, what's so, that's some wild adventures. That's so cool that you're able to share that with your dad and take him to some of these places and uh, gain that perspective. Like you say, of being a minority in a different place and taking in the culture. Um, yeah, it's just wild. And I, I love traveling like, a a different species and a different habitat. It's like this new challenge to try to solve the puzzle and figure it out. You know, at least me with my bow and arrow, I just like, uh, you give me a chance for a new species I'm in. And, um, I, yeah. I love traveling around and then I like how you, you came back to muleys and whitetails as I think, you know, as much as I travel around and as much as I bow hunt, there's just nothing that tops elk or mule deer for me, you know, like hunting the West and hunting the mountains we have here. Uh, it's just the top of my list, you know, or I enjoy that as much as I do traveling to other places. Um, but that is wild to pull that off on a, a two twenty six muley down in the Arizona strip, man, good on you. So you, you, um, you know, you talk about some of these different hunts and then pulling it off on a big muley like that. Like, um, Man, in in mental toughness, you say you never get tired of it. I think, I think, uh, I, I think um, successful hunters, and I I think me included, like uh, I think um, my my biggest attribute is persistence. Like just keeping after him, keeping out there, keep theorizing. You know, keeping my head up too, not getting discouraged or frustrated. Like just enjoy the entire process. Uh, how big of a part of that is, is your success? Just like um, I- I embracing the grind and, and being persistent day after day with a good attitude.
1: Yeah, I think definitely you know on any hunt you're on, um, you know I think you're gonna get I think you know you're gonna get one opportunity, and so I think that's the difference between very successful hunters, and I think it's the difference between guys that can't seal the deal is. You know, knowing that you're going to get that one shot and being prepared and ready for it. So, like, you know, a good example is on the strip. Um, you know, if you can make a 70-yard shot out there, you're probably going to have a good shot at killing a nice deer. So, every day in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, you know, those deer bed up early because it's so hot. So, every day in the middle of the day, you know, you got eight hours of just downtime, you know, waiting for the for the air to cool so that the deer get back on their feet and start feeding around again where you can find them um middle of the day you know i'm out there just shooting 70 80 90 100 yard shots um just you know visualizing and and picturing myself in the moment and when that deer steps into that gap or when i when i you know make that final stock and come around the tree to shoot and you know putting that arrow picking the hair and putting that arrow in the right spot and you know just really being uh in that visual moment and seeing yourself successful, I think is, is huge. But, but the practice and putting the time in so that when you do have that one opportunity, you know, you can put the arrow on the money and hold it all together because, you know, a lot of guys, um, you know, and I, and I know guys that are avid hunters, when that deer comes in, man, they come unglued, they're shaking like crazy. Uh, They can't hold it together. They forget which pin to look at. They forget to look through the peep site. You know, there's all kinds of scenarios. Um, and obviously shooting a lot of animals, you know, with, with archery equipment, um, helps get you through all that. And so, um, you know, that's one thing, you know, I've got a lot of experience doing that, but at the same time, I'm not just relying on that. I, I like to get out there and shoot every day, you know, in the middle of the day, whether I'm on in you know, a whitetail camp in Kansas or whether I'm mule deer, elk hunting somewhere. Um, it's one thing that I do is just keep shooting, 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 just because, you know i just felt like on the strip in arizona if i could if i could consistently hit um you know like a, a yeti cup or something at 70 yards that i'm going to be able to get the arrow into the deer when the when the moment of truth comes and that's exactly what happened um these deer were kind of on the edge of this opening and they started moving off and i was just able to you know make a 65 yard shot on this buck and um to me it all just boiled down to the practice that I put in and then visualizing the success, you know, through all the practice, putting myself in different situations, shooting around trees and, you know, you got three trees there, you got to shoot through a little gap to get your arrow. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that's just a huge part of, of being successful.
0: Oh, a huge part. Um Man, that is spot on, Nick. I I love what you said about capitalizing on opportunities. That's the difference uh, between successful hunters and unsuccessful. Like we're all going to have limited opportunities or like you say, you may only have one chance to fill your tag um, man, and it's just no accident that you make those shots, uh, really diligent with your practice and your scenarios and visualization. You know, even when we shoot a bunch of animals with our bow, it still doesn't go to autopilot. It's still something that we have to work at, continually work at. And even, you know, coming into this season, you know, it's, uh, been bow hunting for, for dang near 30 years. And it's this season, you know, I've, every year I step up my practice more and more and I shoot better when I'm shooting a lot Uh, a lot of arrows per day quality execution you know I just get real familiar my you know it becomes second nature to me but I also when I'm walking around to hunt just like you those middle of the days I love to shoot a target or even if I'm in the backcountry like one arrow with a field point on it into some, some you know a rotten stump or into some sand or a soft spot I usually end up finding a rock in there, but still just that practice, you know, to make sure the gear's on, but then that execution. And then as I'm making a stock, like it never leaves the, my consciousness is to execute correctly. Even a, and I try to remember like the most important step for me. Is to pull, pull, pull on my shot. Not choose now when it goes. It just lets me settle my pin a little bit better, and for me, that's the most important step. So I walk around in the woods, stalking, glassing, and I, then I'll just take a moment and I'll think to myself, pull, 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 execute correctly, you know. And then right before I pull back my bow, I I tell myself that. But it, you know, it's something that us guys that are even experienced, we have to work at. We have to visualize. And then I love what you talk about, like, talking about those those longer shots. Like, me being committed to archery, like, sometimes it comes down to your long game. Now, my theory on this is always to get close and kill them. Now, and we all have different skill levels, but I love to get in that 40 to 60 where I know I'm 100%. I know I can make that shot. But, you know, sometimes these hunts, like that desert hunt, where, where you can't get as close, or, like, antelope in open country, or... Uh, a yeah. uh, mule deer in in crunchy snow like in that late season like you never know when your whole hunt's going to come down to executing a shot and executing a shot that with today's equipment with an exact range uh, uh the quality bows and then all the practice that you and I put in those are makeable shots and your whole hunt may come down to making one of those shots you know and so I I think it's important to have like Uh, be well-rounded and and that long-range game is definitely part of it on some of these bow hunts but good on you um so on your shot execution like on a giant 226 like uh what what do you tell yourself or what's your process at executing on an animal or is it like a car wreck you go into where you just fly into autopilot and you remember one thing or what's what's kind of your shot process like nick
1: you know um I think it kind of depends on the situation, but, um, typically, you know, like I said, I just shoot so much that I almost do go into autopilot. Um, first thing I always do is range. I mean, I don't care, you know, if I'm in a tree stand and a whitetail's coming underneath me and I know he's within 20 yards, I don't, I won't range him, but anything past 20 yards for me, I range and I shoot a, I shoot a four pin movable sight. So I've got my, my pin set at 20, 30, 40, 50. And then typically when an animal's out past 50, you have time to range him and move your sight. So, you know, a lot of times when stuff is happening at close range, uh, you don't have the, as much time to, to, to move that. And so that's why I don't shoot a single pin sight because I, wanna, I don't want to have to move my pins when I'm close to an animal. So I shoot a four pin movable so I can just range him. If he's 30, put my 30 yard pin on him. If he's 36, you know, I split my 30, 40, um, that kind of deal. And then if he's out past 60, then I'll range him or out past, past 50 and then, and then dial my sight up a little bit. Um, but when I go into my shot, um, I always just, I draw, um, make sure, you know, I, I shoot a kisser button, which I think is super key. I make sure it's in the corner of my mouth and make sure my nose is right down the middle of the string. And then I always check my bubble on my sight. And so then, um, you know, over the years, just having a lot of experiences, you know, with whitetails, um, I've had a lot of bucks drop on me you know, on those 35 further shots. So I always hold lower third because I think, um, you know, you tend to shoot a little bit high and if the animal jumps the string a little bit, and he drops or goes to get out of there. You know, I don't think in their mind they say, Oh, I'm going to drop because I hear something coming. But just what happens when they hear that, when they hear a noise and they're startled, they just tend to drop their body to get, you know, traction under their feet so they can get out of there. And so, um, I've just kind of learned to aim kind of lower third and, um, just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze until it goes off. And, um, you know, now anymore I'm kind of, you know, like you say, an auto autopilot, but, um, that's kind of what I go through. And, and sometimes even more, more so whitetail hunting than elk or, um, mule deer hunting. Um, sometimes those shots, I just can't even hardly remember what pen I used. I just put it on them and shoot them, you know? So, um, Sometimes you do just go into autopilot.
0: Yeah, well, I think so a lot kind of, of it's.
1: My, that's kind
0: of my sequence. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it's autopilot. I think you're right. Well, in the fog of that adrenaline, you can't think of 20 things at once, and you're trying to get that shot on that animal. So I love that. So that's your practice paying dividends, you know? It's like you practice so much every different situation that it's second nature to your, your bow's an extension of your body. You shoot it so much, you know? So I love that autopilot. That's where I try to remember that one step of pull, 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 because everything else is this fog of adrenaline. I don't remember lining up my peep sight with my, uh, with my sight aperture. I don't remember, you know, a lot of those steps are putting my pin on like, that's all kind of automatic. I try to remember like the one important thing, uh, but i thought you made some really good points in there so um i'm i'm glad that i'm not the only one that has to range find everything i shoot at uh man if i have to guess at yardage i'm probably gonna miss i just i am horrible at that game and so for me an exact yardage and that that range finder it's a whole art in itself like trying to hit the animal and you know i know i've made mistakes before i had this this bedded muley, and he was a really good like uh he he was a giant three point but he was bigger than this four he was running with, but big bladed tines and um you know big older deer with this huge body on him, and you know talking like a hundred and eighty inch three point you know and i had I had executed this perfect stock on him, and I had put myself in you know roughly about forty five yards or so. And I could see his his fuzzy antlers, and there was so much bone above his head, you know, a 180-inch three-point. There's so much velvet up there. And so... I hit that that velvet with my rangefinder. It's the only thing I could see on him, and so I just kept getting a range on his velvet. And uh, you know, forty five, forty five, forty five. Like, okay, I got the yardage, and I slid that sight to forty five. Uh, I shoot a sight similar to you, a five pin mover. So same theory as you shoot it. I love to have that reference to ten yards on there, be able to dial to the right yardage if I have the time, but also be able to be quick on it, you know, and. Uh, but I, I had ranged him at 45, set my dial to 45, and it's like, well, I'm just going to wait for him to stand, and when he stands up, I'm going to put one in him. And he stood up and kind of stressed around, waited for uh, you know, him to be looking away from me, drew my bow, settled my 45 pin. And sent that arrow right over his back, right into the tree behind him. And my rangefinder, I had been shooting his horns thinking I'm getting a yardage, but it shot through his horns and was hitting the tree. So it gave me a yardage of about three yards further, and I airballed that buck. So I'm the same way with those rangefinders. If I don't know the exact yardage or get a range on them, I usually end up messing up the situation. So I've just learned over time, you know, those details are so important. And you talked about. Looking at your level as well. I think the thing that gets me nowadays shooting is my execution of sound. I put in all the practice, but it's those little tiny details or those nuances of the shot that that will get me if I don't pay attention, you know, where those limbs are at, the arc of my arrow, the the level on my bow, you know, getting the correct yardage, but all those little details come together to either making a shot or missing a shot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the visualization of being successful and doing little things, you know, when you're out in your yard, you know, set your target up. So you, you know, when you back up to 60, 70 yards, you got to shoot through, you know, you can't see the whole target. You can just see a sliver of the target. So, so you say you're in the timber and there's a buck standing there at 50 yards and his shoulders, his, you know, head and shoulders and neck are covered. And then his kind of his butt end is covered and all you can see is the ribs. Well, that's all you need to see, you know. And so um, practicing, making shots like that can, can definitely help you in a, in a tight situation. It's kind of like, you know, when I was guiding turkey hunters a bunch, um, we'd be calling a turkey and, you know, you'd see the turkey's fan coming up over the hill and then all of a sudden it would disappear. And then all of a sudden all you'd see is a little red head sticking over the top of the hill there at 20 yards. And then he would pop back down and then disappear and you wouldn't get a shot. And I'd say to the guy, well, why didn't you shoot him? He said, well, all I could see was his head. You know, it's like, well, that's all you need. he was right there you know we knew it was a gobbler we could see his fan and then when his head poked up over the hill you know that was your opportunity to shoot him because that's that's what you want to shoot you know what i mean so just being able to take advantage of of um opportunities and sometimes they aren't sometimes they're not long opportunities sometimes you got to make a quick decision but on a hunt you know i'd say most times if you're going on a five six day hunt you're gonna get one opportunity and being able to seal the deal Um, is, is the difference of, you know, throwing one in the back of the Chevy or going home empty.
0: Yeah. That, um, that killer instinct is so important that you're talking about when you've done it long enough, you know, when you see that opportunity, that, that piece of the rib, like you're talking about and, and, um, in you know, seizing that moment or looking for your opportunity, like you have to have that killer instinct. And it's a fine line between trying to force an arrow and seeing your window and seizing it, you know, like you can't exactly. try to tuck an arrow too tight in too tight a brush or you end up nicking that brush and deflecting. So, so it's a, it's a real thin line that separates that, but you're right. You have to have that killer instinct. And that's where all that practice comes in too. Um, like you said, practicing real life situations or a high degree of difficulty and I love to get my bow all dialed in. And then, yeah, it's not just shooting flip-flops in the backyard at an open target in the prairie. You know, it's tucking those targets behind limbs and getting different angles and shooting 3D targets, shooting from your knees, that uphill, that downhill, like like all that stuff pays dividends come season. And so it's just such a great point of, like, just uh, really challenging yourself as you practice because it makes you better in the field and better at seizing those you know, those slivers of opportunity that you're going to get, and and I just love how you just keep coming back to, you know, five, six-day hunt, one opportunity, and that's that's really the essence of bow hunting, isn't it, is being able to really keep your cool in those moments and deliver an arrow, and you almost get to where you you pride yourself on, on being able to be cool in those moments, but one of the, the things that I, I love about bow hunting so much is those high-pressure situations, and I think, too, in your practice, the more pressure you can put on yourself, the better. I mean, shooting by yourself in your flip-flops, that pin holds pretty steady, but now you shoot at... You know, whether it's a tournament or, um, like, lately I've been shooting at these Mule Deer Western Summits where the game is beat Brian Barney to get a free bow. Well, that that puts a lot of pressure on me, you know, to make sure every arrow right. counts and it's in the center. That pressure is good. I think that really translates into hunting and making shots, don't you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it sure does. And You know, I think just uh, spending time with your equipment and, and knowing how it's shooting and, you know, Just little things like if you've got limbs, you know, knowing where your arc, your arrow, if it's a longer shot, if the arc, your arrow is going to hit the limbs up above or, you know, just spending time with your equipment and doing a lot of practice just really helps a ton, you know. Devil's
0: in the details, at least in archery. Yeah. You make a good point that archer your arrow. So your four pin mover makes it easy to figure that, right? So you, you, is your bottom pin your mover, Nick?
1: Yeah, I use my bottom,
0: yep. Yep, so your bottom yep. pins your mover, so then you've got that reference of ten yards, twenty yards, you know, because you got those other pins. So you can kinda look down and say, Okay, there's a limit fifteen yards. Where's my twenty yard pin at? You know, because that's about where that yeah, arrow's right. gonna arc. But but yeah, it's uh the devil's in the details in those in those archery shots, but you sure have become uh, proficient at it. Do you miss any more, Nick?
1: You know, um, I'm trying to think. Uh,
0: that's pretty good. If you have to think like that, that means I, you haven't missed I, I a whole I lot
1: lately. Of, I can't, I can't, I can't think of anything that I've missed lately. I really can't. Uh,
0: that's I have, a, that's I
1: have a missed di- a few does in Texas. You know, 32, 34 yard, forty-yard shots. That I mean, they are just gone by the time that arrow gets there. Um, Several years ago, I was hunting with a buddy of mine, Greg Thompson. We were in Texas and we were headed into our stand and there was a doe feeding out there in the tall grass. So she was 40 yards. And so I just decided to shoot at her. And I mean, I held right on her chest right at the bottom of her chest. I let it fly. She had no idea we were there and she was gone and out of there before my arrow even got there. That's crazy. But, <laughs> but I just can't think of anything in the last few years. Um, you know, we show it all on TV too. We show it all. If we we miss. We show it. And um, I've been lucky, man. I've been just really lucky. so.
0: Oh, that's really good. Well, um, I, I don't know about lucky, uh, you know, just um, like, like all that practice paying off. Um, that's really good. Yeah, those does uh, or those whitetails, man, they can be jumpy. They can flat matrix that arrow coming at them. I, I've had the same thing with whitetail doe a couple years ago that I think it was closer to 50, but same thing. She just flat got out of the way of my arrow. And then I hunt, um, axis, a bunch in Hawaii and those things, they are so jumpy, you know, evolved from getting, get avoiding Bengal tigers. But those things, I mean, those bucks will just flat get out of the way of the air. The last time I was there, I think I missed two executing perfect shots and they just weren't there when my arrow got there. Thankfully the third one <laughs> didn't jump my string, but God dang, those things are quick. So yeah, that can always happen. Um, I am yet to have like an absolute perfect bow season where every arrow is perfect or I don't need a second arrow or, you know, execute all my shots. It just seems like throughout a season, it's, um, something will go wrong and we're the same way we show our misses. And so, um, yeah, I had a I had a miss last year on a really nice six point bowl that was that was on film and it ended up you know, my indicator pin had got snagged in the truck and had moved down about four yards low or something and I just flat shot under this really nice six point bowl and you know went to the target and saw that it was shooting low and saw my indicator pin, was able to fix things up and then kill a bull a few days later. But uh, yeah, I get to relive that miss over and over and over again on the outdoor channel. So uh, I I feel your pain on that. Uh, Nothing's, um, nothing's forbidden when you're being filmed. Authenticity is King. And so you have to show those moments or those, uh, it it seems like the moments you don't want to film make the best footage, don't they?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure, and and, uh, missing hurts. It hurts, but it's part of hunting, and, you know, when you do that, then you go back and work on it a little bit, and then you capitalize the next time. So, Yeah, that's it. It's all part of it.
0: Yep. Well, um, what hunts do you have coming up this year that you're looking forward to, Nick?
1: Well, I've actually got um, Utah uh, mule deer is my first hunt.
0: Wow, that starts Uh, here in a handful of days.
1: Yep, August 14th will fly out there and start on opening day the 15th nice and then after that i have um, white tails in wyoming on opening day september 1st right on. and i go straight from there uh over to the big horns i drew a really good tag over the big horns archery tag and then um and then a buddy of mine has a has a ranch in oregon that i think i'm gonna hunt for elk right after that and then right off of that one, I go back to Utah for an elk hunt. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I get to go hunt with uh, the guys from Hornady and uh, they're taking me to the Deseret, which is a phenomenal place that I've always wanted to hunt. I never thought I'd ever get to be able to hunt there. Um, so I'm super excited about that. That should be, you know, an amazing, amazing place to hunt. So um really looking forward to that. And then in October, um, Nebraska uh, for mule deer. And then I'll typically hunt Indiana towards the end of October. I may try to slip down to Texas in October too. I've got a, another friend there that uh, is kind of in northwest Texas that has some really good whitetail hunting. It's kind of it's almost more like Kansas than it is Texas, you know, um, with uh, big open country, big deep draws, and um, looks more like lo- looks more like Kansas than it does Texas. So I'll, I'll try to get there in October, and then November will be. Um, Let's see, we'll start in, uh, Kansas. I'll hunt, uh, South Dakota, uh, possibly Wisconsin. And then in December, probably a little bit of hunting in Texas and maybe, um, Ohio in the late season. So got a pretty full schedule.
0: Yes, sir. Um, I don't talk to many guys that have a busier schedule than I do during the fall, but it it sounds like you might have me beat. Man, it sounds like a bunch of really (laughs) cool, awesome adventures. Uh, Yeah, so happy for you, so I'll be following along and and seeing how you do. So, yeah, guys can check you out. Uh, Bone Collector on the Outdoor Channel, right?
1: Yep, Bone Collector. We're on uh, 9.30 Eastern Time um on sunday nights is our main showing we do we we are on three times a week uh, you can check the bone collector website for all the times um you can uh, follow me on uh, my instagram at nick munt you can follow me on facebook nick munt and you can follow me on twitter at nick munt so um all the social media's are there we have a lot of fun um you know it's just uh i just again i i wake up and i'm lucky you know to do this every day and and um, you know, I just can't, I, I just can't put it into words. So I, you know, I, I'm a blessed, I'm a blessed person. I and I, I know that, and I, and I don't take it for granted. So,
0: man, that's um, that's awesome. I can I can hear the the passion, like as we as we talk, and how much you love it, and um, yeah, just a uh, uh, you know how, how humble you are and, and gracious you are for your opportunities. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Like, uh, uh, I couldn't be happier for your success and I can't wait to follow along this season. And, and you guys do put out one of the very best hunting shows, um, you know, anywhere out on the outdoor channel. So guys set your DVR, check it out. Uh, thanks again, Nick, man. I really enjoyed connecting with you and having an in-depth conversation. So I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and, and, uh, getting ready for season here. So just can't thank you enough.
1: Well, I really appreciate it too. It's, you know, it's a great opportunity. And, and, uh, I think when it comes to Western hunting, you know, you guys have, have, uh, always been a, you know, a big part of the culture and you guys do a great job promoting hunting and hunters and public land. And, um, I just, you know, I just am really almost envious of what you guys get to do too. So, you know, I just appreciate you having me and, and, um, all the best of luck to you guys. Thank you so much.
0: Yep. Good hunting to you, sir.
1: You too, buddy. I appreciate. it.
0: Okay, guys, that's a wrap. Again, fun uh, conversation with Nick. Thanks again to him for being on. Um, just a great back and forth. I just love, you know, being a podcast host and being able to connect with some of these guys that I that I've watched on TV forever, and they're they're just as as down to earth and fun to hang out with as as I ever thought watching them. So, uh, just really fun to connect with Nick and um, great conversation. I want to thank Swagger Bipods for their support of the podcast. Again, they make uh, multiple different bipods, shooting sticks, and right now, if you go on their website and you enter the code Brian Barney, you'll re- receive twenty percent off of their products. Um, so, good little promo there to get you guys some money off. Um, be on the lookout for that mule deer episode and other Bre- Beyond the Grid episodes coming out, and. Um, Yeah, I've got a couple new episodes. In fact, I just sent them all off this morning uh, for our video gal to go through. So really pumped to see how these turn out. And then um, I've been filming this this latest November mule deer hunt. And uh, man, what awesome action this past weekend. Wow. Just so amazing. Um, You know, I love all these different habitats I hunt, but these foothill, broken, open country. and, And then I... You know, I, I I went into this spot that I backpacked way back into, no people around, and just was turning up good deer numbers, good buck numbers, and then finally started to find some of those older age class bucks, and uh, between me and my buddy, we got a couple stocks, he got a stock, I got a stock, super close calls, just couldn't make it come together. That That buck of mine, I ended up jumping a cow elk, alerted that buck that was by himself, and... And uh, kind of got down the hill on me by the time I located them too far and didn't work out. But man, just a fun weekend of putting on, you know, I think we did like three days, but just put on a bunch of miles, hunted with our camp on our back, uh, never saw another human, counted a, a bunch of deer and a bunch of bucks, not quite rutting, but right on the precipice of. Uh, starting to travel solo, break up from the bachelor group, starting to travel more country, towards the end I did see a pretty nice three point with a group of does we passed on and uh, yeah just um, really happy able to to pass on some of those three and four year old bucks that like to tempt me and uh, really look for some of those older age class and they exist back there but this place means as much to me as any place I hunt it's just remote backcountry um, gnarly buttes and sandstone and um gnarly draws scars and cuts that just go super deep that you got to climb your way through uh just um what a hunt i mean just so fun so can't wait to get back there in fact i'm going to get this podcast out get a little construction work i'll be working late tonight uh, i got one more podcast to record today and um i'm going to try to get back over there do a little hunting and see if i can't get after those things so um Super excited. I know our season's winding down, but um, still a couple of them left and then we start looking towards next season. Um, but it's been so fun and, and hopefully you guys are getting out for some good adventures. Uh, you know I, I know it was, I, I hear it was tough out there with the hunting pressure this year and uh, you know I definitely noticed some added hunting pressure and adds a degree of difficulty. But there's there's still great spots out there. There's great locations out there. There's great deer numbers out there. Uh, just it, it just takes putting forth the effort to find these spots and locations and, and putting in the effort to find new locations and being willing to strike out. But um, man, it's it's out there. Um, so yeah, just just couldn't be happier, couldn't be more thrilled to get uh, back in the in the prairies and be chasing these things around. So hopefully tomorrow, hopefully I can get all my work done here and leave tomorrow morning and get back after it. Uh, but I've been recording and filming this, so hopefully... I can I can end the film uh, hopefully with a really nice buck that I arrow. So, uh, yeah, just so fun. Okay, I'm going to get back after it, get this podcast out to you guys. So thanks a bunch for all the support. I sure appreciate it. And uh, keep working hard towards your goals. Uh, it pays off in the end. So uh, check in with you guys next week.